Hebrews chapter 12. Cruising right along. You have your Bibles open. We'll pick it up in verse 12. So Hebrews 12, 12. And we'll be reading verses 12 through verse 17. Starting verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, make, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people. I want to circle that in your Bible. America needs this verse right now. Twitter needs this verse right now. Facebook needs this verse right now. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one, no one, no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us understanding this morning. We'd hear from your Holy Spirit. Remove me, as I pray often, from the equation that each person may hear from you, myself included. Lord, we need to hear from Jesus by the work of the Spirit. Lord, we want to not despise your grace, but appropriate it, to be clothed by your grace. We want to pursue peace. We want to walk in holiness. Lord, we don't want a root of bitterness in us. All of these things, Lord, you're warning us. You're counseling us. And Lord, may we receive the counsel, those online, those that are here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We started uh, chapter 12, and uh, you go back to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can read it yourself. You may know it by heart because it's a very familiar passage. But we started with the given metaphor from the writer of running our race with endurance, laying aside all the unnecessary weights. I mean, most of you don't go running with your groceries in your hand, right? You leave those at home. Well, and just in case I get hungry on the way to have eight bags of groceries with me. It doesn't make any sense. And we, and we lay aside, more importantly, the sins in our life. We all have sin. God identifies it, and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. You confess it. Say, Lord, I, I need to put this out of my life. But we're in that running. We're looking to Christ for perspective. We need his perspective. Don't we need Jesus' perspective of things? Yes, yes. Ours is very skewed. We need his assurance that we can finish the race. Because sometimes we're like, Lord, I don't think I can finish. We need his assurance that we can finish. We transition to then the understanding. We transition from that part of the text to the understanding that part of our race in the Christian life, and we don't really enjoy this part, is for God to chasten us. That's part of our race. For him to chasten us. It's kind of like when you see the, uh, the jockeys that are on the best thoroughbreds on in the world, they got that whip, and they have blinders on them. Now, I know animal rights activists may not really enjoy that part, but, uh, uh, but the horses are, they go even faster, and they're already fast. 
because they had the blinders on him. God wants to put blinders on you, saying, I don't want you looking in that direction or that. I want you looking only at Jesus, and he will chasten us that we'd run our race even more effectively. He painfully prunes us. He corrects us. He allows all of us in this room to suffer to some degree. Even some persecution, some level of persecution. All who desire to live godly will suffer persecution, some more than others. And all that our faith in him and our trust in him would what? That it would grow. That, it would, that we'd have more faith, more trust. You're going to need more faith. You're going to need more trust. So will I. But not only that, he does all of that chastening and all that allowing of pain and suffering that we, this seems completely counterintuitive and a paradox to us, that we would find new joy. Like, Lord, how would these things bring joy? We're trusting him that his, the difficulties he allows actually make us more fruitful. And, I, and I'm going I'm to close reading something uh, from Oswald Chambers that I think really kind of underscores this at the end. That's why I brought my phone up here. Uh, and I hope I don't have to bring it again for a long, 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 long time. But uh, are you starting to believe that God can give you new joy even in the midst of hard times? As we read Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Are you starting to believe that? Are you preaching it to yourselves that Jesus said for the joy set before him, he endured even the cross. But if we continue with this picture of running the race set before us, life is one large race, but it's made up of a whole lot of little individual races. That makes sense? You ever seen the Tour de France? It's not one day. It's many days of stages. So you have stage one, stage two, stage three, and it's a new race every day. Up the Alps, down the Alps, through this little town, it's a lot of individual races. Each day is a new stage. Each day you have new courses, new obstacles, but it's one large race. That's our life. Lots of individual races. My 40s was a race. My 30s was a race. When we had kids under the age of five, that was a different race. You have teenagers, it's a new time around the track. Someday our girls will get married, different race. And in our race of life, we can actually be maturing, we can be growing, we can be faithfully running, we can be doing really, I mean, we're running in Jesus, and all of a sudden, we just, out of nowhere, we'll hit a wall. You ever felt that way? You don't even know why you hit a wall. And sometimes you do know why. Sometimes you're like, if you saw what hit me this week, it was like a tsunami. But sometimes you're not even sure why you hit a wall. We go from running in the Lord instead we got into what we didn't see, but God saw we were just running by habit. We weren't running in the Spirit anymore. We can go through the motions of stuff, and you can just be running by habit, but not running in the Spirit. Does that make sense, brother and sister? Do you, yes. you hear that? Hear me online? That we can just be running by habit. That's when we'll hit a wall. Remember what I mentioned a few weeks back. Satan doesn't care. I'm going to keep saying that. If you quit easily or eventually. He doesn't care if you quit easily or eventually. He just wants to, he has all the time in the world until his time is up. He'll wait patiently to make sure you eventually quit. 
and the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, is preparing us for a lifetime of self-inspection. Now, 99% of the time, it's not other people inspecting you. You're going to have to inspect yourself. Self-inspection. Now, that's with the help of the Word of God and with the help of the Spirit of God. So when we hit a wall, or when we're fatigued, or when we're discouraged, we won't be surprised by it. And we won't what? We won't quit. We're not surprised by it. We're like, oh, okay, this probably was going to happen. This is God's redirect. This is me digging in a little deeper. But beyond that, even when things are going pretty smoothly, we're still proactively examining ourselves. That's what this text is showing. No matter what state you're in, examine yourself. Understand where you're at. You know, the great runners are aware of their breathing. They're aware if they're going heel to toe in their run. That if they're thinking of everything, are, is, my, is my stride correct? They're aware of all those things. God wants us to make, become aware. Why? Because not only um, do we want to fulfill the will of God, and finishing our course, but we want to be under his blessing. Do you guys want to be under the blessing of God? Yes. You want God's blessing on your life? I do. I want bless God's blessing on me preaching right now. I want God's blessing on me later this afternoon, no matter what the day is ahead of me or tomorrow on our family. I want God's blessing. I believe you do as well. We want to experience his peace even in storms, even in difficult times, even in trials, we still want to experience His peace. And that's when we really need His peace, because it's not that hard to be at peace when everything is perfect. And you're in the Bahamas on a white sand beach, and everything's great, which rarely happens for most of us, right? So we want to be seeing the work of the Spirit in our lives throughout each and every step that we take. And we're warned here in this text, and we're warned because what? Because God loves us. God loves us enough to warn us. I want to be warned if I'm about to eat something that say, hey, you can eat that. Let's say in another country. But just so you know, when Americans eat this, they get to go to the bathroom a lot because they're not really used to this or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I want to be warned of that ahead of time so I can make a different decision. Someone loves me enough to, to warn, you know, if you travel on mission trips, you'll be told sometime, this is good, this, you can take your chances. If you feel like you've got a stomach of iron, go for it. But most people say, I'll hold off and I'll wait for that experience in the millennium or something like that, you know. But God loves us and he wants us to pay very careful attention as to how we're at in the course of our life, both uh, with the Lord, how we're at with him and those around us, as it says, pursuing peace with all people. And more importantly, we're given prescri prescriptive counsel. Isn't that great? God gives us exactly, he says, here's what to do, here's what you need to be addressing, here's what you need to be focused on. If you're taking notes, you saw the title of our time in God's Word this morning, The Path of God's Blessing, Running Unhindered. Let me read a poem that I came across uh, this week to you. Uh, I've written some poetry, but this one I did not write. This one, I don't know how, how far back it goes, that's, um, I, but I thought it was really uh, complimentary what we're looking at this morning. Uh, the title of the poem is called Keeping On. I've dreamed many dreams that never came true. I've seen them vanish at dawn. But I've realized enough of my dreams, thank God, to make me want to dream on. I've prayed many prayers when no answer came. I've waited patient and long. But answers have come to enough of my prayers 
to make me keep praying on. I've trusted many a friend who failed and left me to weep alone, but I've found enough of my friend's true blue to make me keep trusting on. I've sown many seeds that fell by the way for the birds to feed upon, but I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to help me keep sowing on. I've drained the cup of disappointment and pain. I've gone many days without song, but I've sipped enough nectar from the rose of life to make me want to live on. And I think that the Spirit of God wants the believer, wants us to pray on, to believe on, to trust on, which is faith, to keep worshiping on, to live on, and to run on, but the enemy wants us to fall out and to crawl out and to flame out. And it was... It doesn't matter how many things God's done for you in the past, you can't think of any of them when the enemy is saying, you should quit. All of a sudden, all the things that God's done to keep you standing up until this point, we somehow forget all that and say, "Uh, I wish God would help me out once in a while. God's like, should I enumerate for you? The literally millions of times I've kept you alive, including this very moment that you're questioning me? God calls us, though, not to flame out, but to work it out. This section is about working out your salvation. God doesn't promise that it would be easy. He promises that he'd be there with us to work it out to his glory and our spiritual gain. And part of that, that the poem expresses, is to remember all of those times that God has blessed us and helped us. And you can complain and whine about people that have failed you, but then God will say, but I, I can show you a couple people that have been with you every step of the way. And I always can look at that. Number one, my wife. I can always say, Lord, thank you, my wife. She's always at my side. I've got an armor bearer. I've got someone, you know, and you've got people in your life. And so God will say, look, there's always people that are going to, but even if everyone in this world failed you and all these other things, God's like, you have me. Isn't that great to know? The Lord's like, you've got me right at your side. And he's blessed us and helped us. And he, we wouldn't have come this far without him. Amen? Amen? Psalm 124, verses 2 through 4. I love this verse. I quote it to myself from time to time. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men, and I have in parentheses, think Satan or just life itself, rose up against us. Sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes your own flesh rising up against you. Sometimes it's just life rising up against you. But if it had not been the Lord on our side, they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us and the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. But God protects your soul. Your soul is deep within you. Only God can save the soul and only God can protect the soul and only God can refresh the soul. Amen? Amen. You can't do anything to your soul except for ruin it by rejecting God. But if you come to God, he saves the soul, protects the soul, refreshes the soul. So people can't really touch your soul as long as you stay behind Jesus, as long as you stand in him. But God is on our side to encourage us and to purify us and to rescue us and to chasten us, as we looked at last week, and to direct us and to strengthen us. These words found in verses 12 through 17, starting with, therefore strengthen the hands, if they're followed, are like a perfect meal and a cold drink if you're really tired you're really thirsty, you're really hangry, all of that kind of stuff. It's like healing medicine if you're sick. 
It's like having an entire army protecting you, and better than that, because God is greater than any army. Again, if it's followed, let's take a look at our first point this morning, what I titled, Realign in His Presence, Therefore, verse 12, Strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. God's in the healing business. He's in the straightening out business. He's in the path of the righteous business. I could just as easily refer to these verses as renewing in His presence as just as well as realigning because they go hand in hand. You need to realign with God, but that we'd be renewed by God. And the fact is, when we realign our heart, our lives, and our motives to His Word and to His will and to His counsel, He will bring a renewal in our thoughts, in our spirit, and even in our physical condition. I've talked about this many times. The one place I see it happen a lot, well I have it happen many times when I preach, I'll come here exhausted. No one will know it but me. Uh, and, I, and I will leave here and I could run all day. But I didn't come that way. I have it when I go to prayer meetings. I'll usually go to prayer meetings with every reason in the world, like, if I wasn't called to do this, I would, have somebody, I would outsource it tonight. You know, that kind of thing. And then I'll go there, and then I could go for hours. And some of you, come, you've come from work, you're like, I almost didn't get here, I wasn't going to come here, I wasn't going to, and then you come to a prayer meeting and you leave refreshed because the Spirit actually does minister to the Spirit, but it actually hits your physical as well, which is great. That's why bodily exercise profits a little bit. You really want strength, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That's what the Bible says, and it's not just talking about physical, I mean not just spiritual, also physical. But the emphasis here is that spiritual fatigue and spiritual condition is what the writer's addressing. That people, even believers that have walked strong, all of a sudden feel spiritually heavy, down, fatigued. And notice it says, strengthen the hands and the feeble knees. There's no excusing the condition. There's no saying, and since you feel that way, take the next year off from Jesus. Doesn't say that in the text, does it? Isn't that interesting? The, the writer says, you would think, like, if you were talking to a, a secular person out there that say, and because of this, you should take and do your own thing for a while. Find something that makes you happy. So the writer says, all right, you might feel like you're about to collapse. It just acknowledges the fact that that is a feeling that anyone can feel and warning you, but you can't stay in that condition. And the Lord tells us what to do. We'll get to the direct and serious warning in verses 15 and 17, but don't miss the point. Uh, we'll get back to Esau, and we read about him in just a second. But uh, Esau, remember, he was weary too. He was tired. He was hungry. But God made no excuse and said, well, it's Esau, since you feel that way, just do what you want to do. No. It still goes back to what God directs. He failed to take his fatigue. Esau failed to take his fatigue and his frustration and his weariness to the Lord, and that's a huge mistake. If you feel that way, take it to God. Take it to Jesus. So how do we see a re-strengthening in our spirit? I would imagine every one of us in here, if you really know the Lord and love the Lord, you, you want to be re-strengthened in your spirit. When we feel like this picture in verse 12, it kind of looks like this. 
That's the picture. Hands down. And when you actually put your hands on their knees, they're not at much help because your knees are wobbling. You ever been there? You've been like that exhausted. I felt that way physically. I felt that way spiritually. I felt that way at the same time. How about you? Can I get an amen on that? Where I felt them both at the exact same time. And you're like, Lord, if you don't give me some supernatural energy, I think I'll collapse. That's the picture. Spiritually drained. Bent over. Wiped out. And it's interesting that he mentions hands and knees. It's just my own, I, 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 my own observation on this. You can take it for what it's worth. Uh, but it's interesting to me that hands and knees are mentioned because the hands and knees are a very common part of this posture of hands folded and on our knees in prayer. Hands and knees. We see Jesus on his knees in the garden. Hands and knees. Uh, so we look at that. It's a common posture of prayer. And in the pounding of our race, it's in the pounding of our race, we need a respite with the Lord in prayer. Those of you online, listen to this. And some of, um, some of our time in prayer can be really a lot of just really short, simple prayers, but just quiet in the presence of God. And let him be like the recharging of our spiritual battery. David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Native Americans back in the uh, 1700s, he said, in the silence, silences I make in the midst of the turmoil of life, I have an appointment with God. From these silences I come forth with what? A spirit refreshed and with a renewed sense of power. I hear a voice in the silences and become increasingly aware that it is the voice of God. Oh, how comfortable is a little glimpse of God. See, when you're weary, you're not comfortable. And when you're weary, you have no strength, and you have no power, and you have no refreshing. And God says, you spend some quiet time with me, and there's a verse that I love, and you know it well, that goes directly along with this in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. But you just don't know that he's God. You experience that he's God, and he gives power and refreshing to a weakness in spirit and a mind that's overwhelmed, and a, you know, just your life is overwhelmed. And why? Therefore, strengthen these hands. He, he's not saying you can just, just go ahead and lift weights. He's saying the, do the opposite. The strengthening comes from plugging into the Lord. Getting back, taking those knees and getting on our knees, taking those hands and folding them uh, in the presence of God, saying, Lord, I need to talk to you, or not, more importantly, I need to hear from you, because our God is all-powerful. He's the God of the supernatural. Do you believe that? Or do you just kind of say, well, yeah, I kind of believe it, but I don't really live it out. Because if, if you don't go to God in prayer, you don't believe in his power. That he's above nature. That he's above nature. You can really, we can get to the place that our faith is so strong that we still will do wise things. You still, let's say you're wearing a mask everywhere, but you're still confident. You become more confident. Lord, you say, Lord, no matter what, it is appointed unto me once to die. And if you have it set that I'm going to live till 87 or 68 or 92, whatever it may be, then I can't be killed by the virus. Amen. Amen. I can't. Right. 
I can't be killed by a lightning bolt strike. I can't get be hit, killed by cardiovascular or diabetes or anything else until you say it's my time. And so you, you then say, all right, Lord, you're the power that keeps me alive. And all of a sudden, that little bit of infusion of faith that is robbing you, that without the faith, you're getting robbed of strength. That strength comes in, you're like, why am I worried about this? And you just toss it to the side, and all of a sudden you feel like Samson. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's come upon you and in you. We have a powerful God, and His presence can change our mindset and our perspective. And when our perspective changes, we look back at Jesus and it refreshes our soul. But the complement to quiet, uh, a quiet place of prayer is always the Word of God. The Word and prayer go together. They're like the heads and tails of a coin. They're on the same, it's the same coin. You need the Word, you need prayer, you need the prayer, you need the Word. They go hand in hand. The same weak hands that are folded in prayer need to turn the pages of Scripture. Same hands. Or place those earbuds in and just start listening to the transforming power of the Word of God and turn off the mainstream news, which is weakening your spirit and lying 90% of the time. I, I noticed um, some of the things that God wants us to... Um, well, maybe I'll come back to that point. I'll, hopefully I can remember it. In case I can't. So maybe I... I uh, in case I can't remember this point... Yeah, on my, uh, I had my phone the other day, and I, I, it pops up like earth-shattering news, Apple News. The dumbest earth-shattering news. It was like <laughs> bombshell revelations of the royal family. How is this important to me at that moment, or any other human? But that went out to millions, and I mean millions of phones, bombshell revelations. Then it had three other horrible news stories, all, and it's like, you just want to collapse at the moment. You're like, Lord, this is why I need your word. So I just, I just delete. Uh, I have no interest. Because I already, am, I, already, I already know about a trillion bad news stories already. So a trillion and one is not really changing my assessment of things. I'm, all here, I'm already convinced that we're like speeding down the hill on fire. So I don't really need more bombshell revelations to understand that, that we're in a bomb setting, you know, if you will. So anyway, it was like... But anyway, in case I forgot, what we do need is back in Hebrews chapter 4, for the Word of God is living, powerful. It'll give you some bombshell revelations about you and me. That's what we do need, some revelation. Lord, show me where I'm really at. Or revelations about Jesus show me who he is. That's the kind of revelations we need, and he's sharp, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces even the division of soul. Again, there's that soul-level contact that only God can make. Soul-level contact and spirit and joints and marrow. And ultimately, that's, that just refreshes our hearts. I need that. You need that. That's what the writer's saying. He's like, you're not going to survive if you don't get on your knees and in the Word of God. There's not a substitute. If you came here today saying, I was hoping that after all these years of the Christian faith, there would be a new substitute for prayer in the Word. No. That would be like saying there's a new substitute for rest or, or for sleep, water, and food. There's not a substitute for sleep, water, and food. You cannot say, well, I'm just going to, instead of those three things, uh, I'm going to adopt the lifestyle of some alien that I watched on a movie or something like that. It doesn't work that way. 
But the Word of God, it convicts us, it corrects us, it comforts us, and it calms us as we what? Obey it. As we obey it. That's what it says. It's not, not giving an excuse, not saying, hey, if you feel this way, just take off from Jesus until you kind of collect yourself. Not going to work that way. And of course, we're resettled and we're re-strengthened uh, to keep moving forward. God wants us to keep moving in that forward direction towards we're making progress like Pilgrim's Progress. We're moving in the direction of the finish line. And the finish line's still out there for all of us. How do I know that? Because we're all here this morning. We haven't reached our finish line yet. So we're counseled here to make our paths straight. It says, and make straight your paths and your feet, uh, and your feet for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Uh, the same word that ministers to us, it guides us forward, even through new challenges. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. We, we, need, we need light so we know what we're about to oh, I'm about to step on a huge rock or a snake. I've had, I've had snakes go across well, twice we I've got once with my wife, once running, just right across the path. And uh, I don't really, and when I actually uh, run, I'm making sure that I'm not going to step on certain things. You don't want to, if you have your bare feet, you don't like stepping on a wasp, do you? No. I mean, so you want to make sure that you can see. Um, in Psalm 17, verse uh, 5, it also says, uh, uphold my steps in your path. Your path, that's important there. Uh, that my footsteps may not slip. Uh, doesn't matter. It's not good to go running in flip-flops. Not advisable. Although I've seen some countries are really good at it. <laughs> I know those of you who lived in India and the Philippines, I, they, some of the things they do in flip-flops amaze me. You can adapt, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, on mud and things like that, it can still be a real challenge. And it's, just, it's not just knowing the Word, uh, but we're to follow it closely and and talk to the Lord and to, and to spend time with Him and say, Lord, let me help apply these uh, words. If I'm running, no matter how many times that I run, I always make sure I have these shock absorber insoles in the shoes because they protect your knees and, and it helps uh, make sure that your ankles and everything, they take less shock. And I always check for wear. If, there's, you know, if you have a hole, you probably need time to change shoes. And uh, over time, they don't have the same uh, kind of structural integrity and uh, this is something we teach our kids from the time they're little but if you're going to run you always want to lace up your shoes you don't say you know what that's for when I was 10 no, you go running and don't lose them, lace them up you can be 40 matter of fact you'll have a harder time doing this at 40 or 50 not lacing up your shoes you'll pay the price way fast kid trips and falls they jump right back up not like this heels in like a day you will be out of work for a week or something like that <laughs> if not longer so uh, these are very important things to do. You never decide to just skip it. Uh, I also try and run when it's light out. If you can't see what's in front of you, that can be a real problem, can't it? And so that's why the Word is a light, and it helps us to see what's out of place in our life. So it can be what? Properly put back in place so we're not more dislocated, more damaged, doing more damage to ourselves. If I'm looking... I'm always looking ahead. Is there roots I'm about to step on? Mud, loose gravel, anything? Because if you have light, you can see those things. And God will show you things that are going to be uh, a hindrance to you, a snare to you and your family. You'll be able to see those things when you're running correctly and saying, Lord, I've, I've checked all these things. When I tore my hamstring, 
a couple summers back, uh, there were things that I would avoid so it would heal. God will give you wisdom. As I mentioned, you know, when you'll get the wisdom when the bombshell news hits your phone, you'll say, not interested. Because then you're actually causing damage to yourself as opposed to God strengthening you. You don't really need all that. And again, God may want you and me to lay things aside so that we can heal. But don't compromise and ignore the voice of the Spirit. If God's convicting you of something, don't put it off. Say, Lord, I'm going I'm to pay attention to this. I'm going to make this correct so I can be healed. God's desiring to heal us. He doesn't want us in more spiritual injury that we'd give up the race. Two things, I want to bring these last two points to a close more quickly, but because uh, I really wanted to spend the bulk on verses 12 through 13, just given the amount of time that we have. But I do want to uh, look at, for just a few minutes, these last few verses as they re- relate to Esau and the warning here. But also starting verse 14, uh, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, and I've titled this "Recommit to His Call," um, which is really taken for, from verse 14, because there's two imperatives here: pursue two things, peace and holiness. Pursue peace and pursue holiness. How do you live out your faith in Christ? Well, we're called. We know we're called to walk in His footsteps. We're to, we're followers of Jesus. That's what it means. We're following Him. We don't make the rules. We follow him. Say, Lord, where do you want me to go? Do I turn left? Do I turn right? We're followers of him. To follow what? His example in life and what Jesus focused on and what he told us to focus on. That's why, that's why I'm saying that, again, when all this other, the, the world wants you always informed about things that God says, Jesus didn't talk a lot about what the Roman emperors were doing. He talked about what God was doing. Mm-hmm. Notice that. He didn't talk a lot about... They tried to get him to talk about Herod. He goes, tell that fox the lame are you know, walking. and you just, Basically, he just didn't give it much conversation at all. He stayed focused on the will of God. And so God wants us to... These are the things God wants us to pursue. He doesn't want you to be the most knowledgeable person on earth about the political upheaval in America. Not that you can't be informed, but you can be over-informed to the point that that's all that absorbs your mind. But he's saying pursue peace and pursue holiness. Christ is the fullness of holiness. And through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, he provides peace for you and me, for his people. As a matter of fact, one of his names is the Prince of Peace. peace. Isn't that great? In other words, he is the total... He has the total control and warehouse of peace. He turns it on like a faucet. We're, in, we're imperfect, all of us, yet we're called to pursue holiness. That's weird. We're called to pursue holiness, and yet we know how imperfect we are, and we're to be at peace with people. And a lot of people are not at peace with people, even Christians. We, it's really sad how many Christians ha- are at odds with other Christians, which is really, really Disappointing, but uh, more than disappointing, it is really an affront to the Lord. God wants us to be at peace with one another. I know it's not easy. Not easy because I know how much of a jerk I can be. 
I know, I know how much flesh is in me, so therefore I know how much flesh is in you because we're all created from the same dirt. And we have the same fallen nature, so it's not easy. But Paul wrote in Romans 12, and again, if, it, if we get rained out Wednesday, and if we don't get rained out, read 12 and 13 anyway. In Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, because it's not always possible, some people won't be at peace with you even if you love them to death. They're, 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 they're that bitter or that enraged or that hateful and they just they will not be at peace with you and they've killed Christians because they just won't be at peace with them. But as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Just like here it says pursue peace with all people. Two different authors, same different emphasis. All means all. Well, what about atheists? All. What about Muslims? All. Hindus? All. Antifa? All. The president, all. Nancy Pelosi, all. You can go on and on. I'm left, I'm right, I'm middle. Great, all. Doesn't matter. Our commitment to what God has called us to, it's our humbling of ourselves and prioritizing our lives based on His priorities. And it's our responsibility... Our responsibility is just to base our lives. Say, Jesus, this is what you said is important. Pursue holiness and peace. I'm going to make that the the foremost of my priority. The results are in God's hands. And he might shock us if we all got on board, right? He might say, you know, some of the people you thought you could never be at peace with, I'm going to make them Saul's that turn into Paul's. Won't that be great? I'm looking forward to even maybe before the end of the year, 2021, someone that you think is one of the most antagonistic, hates Christians, coming to Christ person. You know, God's done this before, and he'll do it again. Nineveh, the whole city was that way. Yeah. The whole society came in one day, so God can do it. But we're to pursue this holiness and pursue peace. Let me explain something. If you look at, uh, if, we see, if we say holiness is, is a bit too extreme, I just want to be an average church attender. Or we say, I'm not going to pursue peace with all people because some people just aren't worth it. But I'll be pretty nice to people that I like and the people that like me. Well, that's no different than the world. That's the world's philosophy. It's a form of godliness, but it's empty religion. It's religious coverings. The Lord has called us to be his disciples. And his disciples, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus said they will love their good buddies? No, their enemies. Their enemies. Blessed are, he said in the same text, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers are holy and peaceful all in one. That's why it's a work of the Spirit. A holy person will pursue peace. A person pursuing peace will become holy. Not perfect, We talk about this all the time. Well done, good and faithful servant, not good and perfect. But we'll be pursuing the right things. And today, people are pursuing stuff, things, all these other things, but God wants us pursuing. And we'll find peace when we're pursuing the things Jesus called us to. Last thing to look at this morning, verses 15, 17. Let's take a look at them and close here. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright 
For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. When we finish here, remembering his warnings. And this is like, a, you know, sometimes a mom, no, no matter how old the kid, the last thing out the door. Remember, you better wear your seatbelt. Remember your uncle? You know, something like that. You know, that, you know all that kind of thing. How many times have I heard this story? You know, well, God will remind you a lot to remember certain warnings. You know, it, it, you look at these different things, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. We're saved by grace, but we can trample on grace. We can trample on grace. We're saved only by grace. We either receive it or we reject it. And he's warning, don't let bitterness... And this is, again, so sad to see when at a time that the body of Christ should be more loving, more... I see a lot of Christians more bitter now than they were in January. More bitter now than they were in January. More unforgiving, more punitive to other believers. You're going to pay for this. That kind of root of bitterness, I, I really fear for some people that I see that in their heart. I'm like, whoa, you're not... The Bible, Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. You should be getting more compassion, more forgiving. Love covers a multitude of sins. doesn't waylay on people for sin. The root of bitterness, dangerous. He's saying, you better be careful because that bitterness, you'll become defiled. And the whole time you're pointing, they're, they're so defiled, you're becoming defiled. While you're pointing out their defilement, you're becoming defiled. Your root of bitterness is, so, is self-destructive. Very important. And he goes on, a, a, a fornicator. So immorality. We, this is an American tradition now. Pornography, all kinds of anything goes sexually. I mean, uh, you have to say, Lord, I'm going to stay pure. You, you called me to purity. Profane. We'll get to that in just a second. But understand that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, if you remember, we're all the way up to chapter 12 now. This book goes through a cycle, several cycles, of passages that do what? Exalt Jesus, encourage believers, and then grave warnings. Exalts Jesus, encourages believers, grave warnings. Because they cause us to examine our faith. I, I, the grave warnings are good. You get them all over the place. Go to your neighborhood pool, on the back of the lifeguard stand, it'll say, we're not responsible for, and it's like a really bad list. You ever seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you sign a waiver, you're going to go zip lining. You're like, wow, should I really do this? The warning is, could cause death, bodily harm, permanent dismemberment, uh, physical. Uh, you're like, sounds great. Yeah, let's do it. You know, uh, right. But God's not, you know, he's not just, you're not signing a disclaimer. He's saying, stay away from all that stuff. Amen. Don't sign anything. Don't get anywhere near it. Don't let this be part of your life. But these are areas where we're called to examine ourselves, repent where needed. Mark 13, 5, and Jesus began to say to them, take heed that no one deceives you. You know who deceives us the most? Us. We deceive ourselves. That's why it's written to all of us. It's not just written to some. It's written to the whole church. Don't, don't be deceived. Esau was a man that made earth his heaven. Esau was a man that made earth his heaven. He traded his birthright, which is an inheritance, for one 
meal. It wasn't a happy meal either. One meal. It was a, a very unhappy meal in the, in the end of it all. He traded it for one meal. He's called profane, which means worldly. The English word actually means outside the temple. He was outside the temple. That's what, that's what profane actually means in the, in the English term. He was worldly, but he wasn't actually wild. He wasn't like you know somebody like Adolf Hitler. He loved his father. He was a good leader. The Bible says he was a great hunter. Dr. Warren Wearsby makes the point that he'd actually been a good neighbor. You'd actually like him as a neighbor because he had all the weapons to protect you, and he was tough, and he was rough, and he was actually pretty fair-minded. He would have made a great neighbor, but he wasn't on his way to heaven. A lot of your neighbors are actually pretty good neighbors, but they're not on their way to heaven. Some of you here might be good neighbors, but maybe not on your way to heaven if you've not really repented. But he had no interest in submitting to God and loving God or serving God. None. And trading his birthright for a 30-minute meal is no different than people trading in being born again and surrendering to Christ for a 30, 40, or 80-year life of careers, hobbies, pleasures, where yourself is your own God. No different. Same trade. They're both parallels. The promise of rejuvenation and blessing is great, but the warning is imperative, isn't it, brother and sister? The warning here is imperative. No one will see the Lord. That's back in verse 14, but afterward he couldn't inherit the blessing. It, there, it, you, can, you can pass the point of, there is a line in the sand God draws for every person, just so you know that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is for each person. Only God knows it. Some, I, I can make the argument it's not until we breathe our last breath, but then again, I see other scriptures that tell me otherwise. I'm like, Lord, only you know. So I, 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 I would go to anybody on their deathbed and, and assume the grace of God. But on the other hand, uh, Esau was still alive, and I don't know. So you have to kind of say, Lord, uh, I see these passages, and I see these. You ever see passages that you go back and forth and say, what's, what's the final conclusion? God says, just, here's the final conclusion, pursue peace and holiness. Don't, don't play games. Don't, don't play on the line. I got saved on a message like that, by the way. Um, I wanted to read um, just this last thing, and then we'll come to a close here. I said I had to use my phone. This was in today's Oswald Chamber. Some of you may have saw it, but I'm going to read it anyway. I don't normally read a devotion up here, but I thought it was appropriate. He says, God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome the strain is the strength. If there is no strain, there is no strength. Are you asking God to give you life and liberty and joy? He cannot unless you will accept the strain. Immediately you face the strain, you will get the strength. Overcome your own timidity and take the step and God will give you to eat of the tree of life and you will get nourishment. If you spend yourself out physically, if you become exhausted, but spend yourself spiritually and you get, uh, if you, extend your, if you ex, uh, expend yourself spiritually and you get more strength, God never gives strength for tomorrow, but only just for each day. And, he, and again, that point where there's no strength without the strain, God will allow us to get exhausted that we come to Him for strength. And that that's where we'll find that joy, and that's where we'll find all of these things. But we have to, on this path that we're on, we have to choose wisely. In Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life and your presence is what? Fullness of joy, even in the difficulties. Proverbs 12, 28, in the way of righteousness is life. In its pathway, there is no death. Uh, there's no permanent death. We've been saved from 
the penalty of death. Amen? Amen. So we want to close here. But uh, I pray that these things, again, God says they're not going away. There's going to be things that are going to exhaust you. Are you going to pursue peace and holiness? And are you going to strengthen the things that I've asked you to do in my presence and prayer and the Word of God and circumspectly allow me to light your path? And if we do, we'll experience His blessing and joy. If we don't, then we have our warning. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that you love us enough that you do want to bless us. You, you want to re-strengthen us. You've said those that wait upon you will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. But Lord, we feel that way at times, but Lord, help us to see if we're just running by habit or if we're ignoring your commands and your warnings that we would walk in newness of life, observing and obeying what you've wisely counseled us to do, that we pursue peace with all people. We pursue holiness. And before we just kind of close in worship, and I'll speak to those that are online and those that are here, if there's anyone here at all, you say, I, I know this message again was to the believers, although there is a warning there because Esau was not a believer. But God doesn't want you to be Esau. He wants you to be Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And God wants to give you a change, a permanent change, just like he did to Jacob. And uh, his name went from deceiver to becomes Israel, a whole nation named after him. But God wants to do a permanent change in you. And, but if you, you first have to come to Christ and believe what he said. And if there's anyone here say, I want to give my life to Jesus I want, I want to be changed forever. I want to know that I have eternal life. This life is at the soul level transformation. Just stand where you're at. I, I don't have time to belabor it. I just want to just throw out the life preserver if anyone wants to grab onto it. Just, and if you're at home, just stand where you're at. Don't worry about what your family thinks. They'll be clapping for you. Anyone at all? We've had a few people saved this summer, which is great. I'll take one salvation over all kinds of other stuff. Anyone else? Well, maybe someone's standing at home, because I didn't mean to say anyone else, but there's no one else standing here, but anyone at all, I should say. If there is someone standing, God would know. I'm going to pray, and then if, if there's anyone here or online, just, just pray in your heart. It's not a sinner's prayer that saves you. It's repentance. You can, you can say a lot of sinner's prayer. You have to confess but also believe in your heart. And that's saying, Lord, I'm going to turn from sin. I'm going to turn to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are truth and life. And Lord, I ask that you would cleanse and forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. And I ask, Lord, that you would Wash me and purify me, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to walk day by day now with your Spirit leading me, disciple me, teach me your word that I grow in your grace. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone's prayed that, even online, just send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. For those of you that are here, so we close in worship. This week, 
Read Romans 12, read Romans 13, parallel it with what we read this morning and just say, Lord, help me to live this out, to pursue the right things. And if there's things that need to be laid aside, lay them aside. Make it right with the Lord. Let's stand and worship as we close.